All right, welcome to another episode of the Garbage Time Basketball Podcast. This one is about the Charles Oakley book, The Last Enforcer. I'm not going to say too much here. Let's get straight into the episode because it is a long one. So let's get straight into episode 32 of the Garbage Time Basketball Podcast. Alright, welcome everybody to the Garbage Time Basketball Podcast, episode 32. We are back after a bit of a hiatus. It's just me and the Oracle here. How you going, Oracle? I'm good, man. I'm good. Good. In fact, I'm enjoying this fucking awesome weather we've been having the last few days. Yeah, it's actually uh, turned pretty good where I am here as well. Bit of sunshine. My face is a bit red this week from working outside a fair bit. It's been good. Soaking in the vitamin D. Bit of a welcome change from uh, the regular weather down here in Ballarat. It's been a few months since uh, we recorded, so it would have been you know, the shitty weather we had in winter. So it's good to see the sun out and getting towards spring and the start of the NBL season and the NBA season and everything that comes with that. So yeah, looking forward to it. That's it. It's the start of spring. It's the new, it's new beginnings. Yeah, it's been almost three months since recording our last episode. I was just looking at <laughs> looking at the last one we recorded. Yeah, that was back in uh, June. Yeah, wow. Time flies. We've, uh, yeah, we've all been busy doing new shit and, and, and that, so but ready to get back into it now. Yeah, basketball's kicking off again. Like you said, the NBL's starting soon. We'll uh, Next episode, we'll talk plenty about that, doing some deep research on all the on how all the teams are shaping up in the NBL. And then, of course, uh, the old NBA starts up in uh, 40-odd days. I saw the other day, it was like 40 days until the start of the season or something. Yeah, yeah, not too far at all. I think preseason starts in about three or four weeks. Yeah. And then, yeah, two weeks after that is the uh, NBA. So normally end of October it starts or, you know, around Halloween. Yeah. it's uh, You know, it's actually good because when I signed up for League Pass last year, I was in Thailand. So when my League Pass renews this year, I get charged again in Thai Bar. That'd be fuck all. It's actually uh, quite a large discount from the Australian rate, so I'm liking how that's working out. <laughs> nice to get, get get the NBA on cheap there. Like I said, though, in the in the last episode we recorded, we're going to focus a lot more on the NBL this year. That's going to be my focus, and we'll sprinkle in some NBA stuff when it becomes a little bit interesting. That's it. When it becomes a little bit relevant, we'll eventually we'll get to our new. Uh, cast member on the podcast here as well we'll get him on i think hopefully next episode he's just become a dad chris so congratulations uh chris Wolsey. yeah big uh big congrats there on the, the new addition to your family hope it's all going well brother we'll have you on very very soon all right so let's get into this episode oracle we are talking about at forward six nine from virginia union number 34 Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley. This in the third quarter, pushing and shoving. Don't mess with the oak tree. Charles Oakley's book, The Last Enforcer. 
last year I did a review on Scotty Pippen's book and uh, it just got me hooked and I thought, oh, I wonder what else is out there and uh, I just saw Charles Oakley's book and, you know, just remembering him as a player in the 90s who was a no-holes-barred, uh, just down, plays hard defence, just did not take shit from anyone. I thought this would be a fantastic read and I was right. So I'm glad I read it and it's like, yeah, I will need to do a bit of a review on a book because it's a fantastic read. Yep, everyone should go out and buy a copy of this book. We'll cover a lot of it here on the podcast, but it's from what I know, it seems like uh, it's a, a bit of a page turner. He's actually like, I'm just looking at a YouTube video now with Charles Oakley on it. He's wearing a windsheet. He's wearing a hoodie, a Last Enforcer hoodie, like there's a hoodie you can buy with the last enforcer on it, which I didn't I didn't know you could get merch as well. No, I didn't know that. That, that might be all right actually. Your standard black and white, but he's wearing it well. And if you wanna you wanna support him even more, I guess you can go out and buy his merch too. Yeah, if you're a Knicks fan and uh, a fan of nineties ball, definitely do it. And yeah, well, he really was that type of player, wasn't he? Charles Oakley. He was the guy who, if you were playing against him, he would do his best to strike a bit of fear into your heart if you were playing against him because you knew he was going to play physical. You knew he was going to use his granite-like physique to get an advantage in the game. Um, I was watching some clips earlier of him chucking his shoulder into Steve Smith and upsetting him. Whistle had blown. He tried to slam dunk it. I think Oakley stuck a shoulder into him as Smith descended. Larry Johnson trying to take charges on Larry Johnson and landing on top of each other and then getting into it after. Him and Alonzo Mourning had a lot of on-court battles as well. That just goes back to the Knicks style playing in the, in the 90s. They were a very physical team. Yeah, that's what I, I remember about them too. They were an extremely physical team, reminiscent of the bad boys a little bit, the Detroit Pistons as well. I mean, not, not as bad as them, but still very physical and uh, they played within their means. They played within the rules. The rules surrounding physical play were a bit looser than they are these days, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely, especially in the playoffs. They did let them play big time in the playoffs, especially like as a Bulls fan in the 90s when we played against the Knicks, I was actually like the one team that I did not want to play because they had just the play that they did. It's uh, it's like, okay, we could lose against the Knicks. They were, they were that good with their type of play and, and they were extremely well coached with uh, Pat Riley. Yeah, not only lose, but actually lose personnel through injury. Well, yeah. yeah. There was the danger of that as well because of how physical they played. So, yeah, I'm just going to let you speak to the book a bit there, Oracle. So take us through some uh, notable moments that you that you read. So I'll start with the start of the book. It's uh, the foreword was done by Michael Jordan, and he basically just praises him. He said, uh, you know, he's the type of player he was. The physical player was perfect for the '80s when the Bulls drafted him, and you know when he did get traded to New York, Jordan was extremely pissed because he he loved what he brought to the team, and he was the guy who had your back no matter what. So if something did happen, you Oakley, you turn around and Oakley was there, about to fucking punch on with some cunts. But um, and, and yeah. Yeah, that back then when Michael Jordan was first entering the league as a young young rookie, young fella, I can see why he would have loved having Oak around because he would have felt a bit protected. He's like yeah. an on-court bodyguard almost. Yeah, and to this day, uh, Jordan and Oakley are extremely good friends, which uh, we'll talk about a bit later on. Chapter 1 opens up. I did not punch Barkley. So there's a story for him allegedly punching Barkley before an important NBA Players Association and meeting in 1999. Okay. Didn't know this one. So there was a rumour of him um, doing that. But uh, however, and I quote, I did, however, slap the shit out of him. 
I didn't punch him, but I yes, I, but I did slap the shit out of him. He goes, Barkley had a coming. He goes, he was talking shit about me, and uh, he and he just had enough, so he just, just slapped the shit out of him. Then he goes on a little bit. Yeah, um, like you played for Chicago, New York, Toronto, Washington, and Houston over a nineteen-year career. I do not remember him playing for Washington at all. Yeah, this is uh, or Houston or Houston. To be honest, those last two teams, I've got no memory of of Oak playing for them. From memory, the Houston one was a couple of ten day contracts, and Washington was maybe a, a one year, in which he didn't get many minutes. But yeah, and he, he says he got uh, in his career. He had twelve thousand over twelve thousand rebounds, over twelve thousand points. He ranks fourth in personal fouls in NBA history. That's not surprising, is it? No. As we said, Oakley has five flagrant fouls. He picks up number six. He then would be dismissed for the next game. He said most of them were to stop dunks or layups. He said Pat Riley had a no layup rule. Which he would have taken full advantage of. I wonder about flagrant fouls, whether he's is he an all-time leader in, in those? I'll have to look that up, but uh, yeah, he doesn't talk about that. I mean, you don't really recall that many flagrant fouls being called back in the 90s. So. Those sort of fouls were called more when... There was fighting. Yeah, yeah, not like today's game. In comparison today, it's like, yeah, a player gets inadvertently hit in the head and it's becomes a flagrant, doesn't it? Yeah. Soft. Very soft. Very soft. He goes on about, uh, he, he said he didn't fight all the time, but he did when it mattered. He quotes, if you fucked with me or one of my teammates, I wasn't going to back down. Never. I think everyone knew that about Charles Oakley throughout his career, right? He was never one to back out of a uh, any sort of confrontation that he was that was going to arise on the basketball court during games. No, and uh, it goes on like I'm about to talk about his childhood and his upbringing, but this is where it all comes from, and um, it carries throughout his whole career and life. So this is when he starts talking about as a kid, as he starts growing up. But so he he was born in Cleveland, Ohio. His father passed away when he was nine. He had a heart attack. So he was the youngest of six kids. Before his father passed away, from what I understood, his parents were separated. So, but he doesn't specifically say that. His mum, trying to you know bring up six kids by herself, trying to establish a home, she sent himself and his sister away to live with his grandparents. Just uh, I'm guessing so she can concentrate on working and. and uh, buying a house for them to live in. So um, they moved away to Alabama to live with his grandparents. And uh, where he was living, uh, you had a lot of cousins living in the city. So it was a, it was like a very big family in a small town. He talks about his grandfather, Julius, a lot. That was a person that he really looked up on. He was a ordained minister and he baptized him in the pool down the road. He talks about his, his grandparents and parents didn't take any shit from anyone. Looking up to his grandfather, his grandfather, the way he talks about him, he, he talks about him like he's Zeus or a god or some shit like that. He said... His grandfather was a very tough guy. He's a very hard worker. He was six foot three, massive calluses on his hands. He built his own house. He was a coal miner. He was a farmer. He was a blacksmith. And um, he apparently knocked out a donkey because it didn't want to work. <laughs> what? He knocked out a donkey. So Charles Oakley's grandfather knocked out a donkey. Because it didn't want to work. Because it didn't have a good work ethic. It shows you what type of... Uh, yeah, there's a little factoid for people who most likely they wouldn't know about Charles Oakley's family history. Yeah. They didn't yeah. take shit from anybody, including animals that didn't work hard. <laughs> so, you, so you can see where he's sort of uh, not taking shit from anyone come from. 
That's right, yeah. It's all inbuilt into him from a young age. So he spent four years with his grandparents, and in that time his mum got a house and moved back with his mum. So he does credit his work ethic to his grandfather because his grandfather never bitched. He always worked hard, and he got it done. So when Oakley came to the NBA, he never bitched about back-to-back games or practices. He just did it because that's how he was brought up. Charles Oakley kind of embodied his grandfather's persona. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, uh, he idolized him so he wanted to be like his grandfather so he's like, yep, yeah, well, with life comes hard work and you just fucking do it. So Charles wasn't just a guy looking to throw his weight around on the, on the court because he could. This is how he was brought up in his family from an early age. Work yeah. hard, don't bitch and moan about anything. You're always going to bat for your your teammates and put your body on the line to achieve a result. Well, particularly, you know, in basketball for, for Charles, but in regard to his grandfather, I mean, that was his whole life's ideology. Yeah. So he moved back when he was 13 with his mum and he, he started playing basketball. So he didn't play basketball before he was 13. He started when he was 13. He didn't play before that. Well, he didn't actually say he played when he was living with his, grand, with his grandparents, but uh, when he moved back, that's that's when he said that uh, he was playing basketball then, so uh, hard to say. We can probably assume that his introduction to basketball came when he moved back with his mum after he'd been living with his grandparents for four-odd years. So from a pretty young age, like yeah. he got his introduction to basketball then, and how did he go from there to becoming a pro NBA? So he started playing basketball. He said he was playing against guys four or five years older. So that's how his attitude was. He said, stand tall and tough, just like his grandfather. So it all starts from there. At high school, he was considered to be better at football than basketball. That's pretty easy to see, isn't it? Like that he, uh, we're talking American football there, the NFL style football. You can see him being a lot, being a linebacker or something like that, a defensive <laughs> end, you know, someone who can just smash into dudes and knock them flat. Knock him flat, yeah, exactly. And with the build that he's got, it would have been perfect too. Like I said, he's made out of granite, Charles Oakley. Couldn't knock him over, but he certainly could use his physical prowess to um, intimidate other players basketball court. It goes on with uh, he was at high school so he had to choose. He said football is massive in Cleveland but if he'd stay with football he would have had to stay there. Basketball was his way of getting out of Cleveland because he said the the, uh, the neighbourhood he was living in the crime was, was really bad and he said uh, when he was 17 he saw a man get shot four times. So he's like yep yeah, fuck that. I'm getting out of here and playing ball so I can get out of Cleveland. And, and basketball was the vehicle that was going to going to take him out of uh, out of Cleveland, yeah? So he uh, he got offered a scholarship to play basketball at Virginia Union, which is his, historically a black university in Richmond. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that would have suited him a lot more. He doesn't really talk a whole lot about college. He said NBA scouts didn't really notice um, that university because it was a Division Two school. Yeah, I was going to ask that, whether it was a Division One college or not. Yeah, so it was a Div Two college. So he's playing career in college would have went under the radar a fair bit. Just take us through how he went from there to getting drafted or whatever. So he said that he didn't really get noticed until his junior year and his team made the quarterfinals of the NCAA Division 2. In his senior year, they went 31-0 and and he averaged 
24 points and 17 boards a game. Jesus. So, yeah, he was a bit of a... Yeah, that's when people started to take notice, obviously. They, they you know, those sort of numbers. Even in Division Two school and the team goes on that sort of run, they're going to um, get some attention. And uh, in one of the games, he put up 43 points and uh, NBA scouts were now sort of visiting his uh, uni and watching his games and that. And one of the scouts was Jerry Krause from the Bulls. There you go. That uh, in his senior year, he was named Division Two Player of the Year. See, he bothers you. Came in the league from Virginia Union. He was Division II Player of the Year. He had that body. He came in. He averaged 13 rebounds two straight years when he was in Chicago. So that would have got uh, old Jerry Krause's attention for sure. He would have seen Oak and thought, "Yeah, we need that guy." Yeah, well, uh, he said uh, Jerry Krause had uh, seen Oak play a few a few times, even before he was Bulls GM. So before he was Bulls GM, he was bouncing around as a scout. Krause had only been GM for only a few months. So going back to that, that was in the 1985. He got drafted. He was picked by Cleveland, but his draft rights were traded to Chicago. Cargo. So the first nine picks of the 85 drafts, the first pick was Ewing to the Knicks. Then they went Wayman Tisdale to Pacers, Benoit Benjamin to the Clippers, Xavier McDaniel to the Sonics, John Concac to Atlanta. Concac. What a pass and Oakley is covered by Concac. <laughs> <laughs> he's in one of those he, he's in a clip that I was watching before where, where Oakley was getting into fights and stuff Concac standing in the middle of the court sets a pick on uh, Doc Rivers or someone and flattens him Concac flattens him in the middle of the court and Oakley just goes straight up to him and just has it out with, with Concac man <laughs> um, sixth pick was Joe Klein to Sacramento yeah another big tree trunk yeah. Another big lumberjack. Seventh pick was Chris Mullins to the Warriors. Eighth pick was Detlef Schrempf to Washington. And then there was... Oh, Schrempf. To Washington. The Matt Jones equivalent, Detlef Schrempf. <laughs> the lookalike of Matt Jones. <laughs> so Detlef was eighth and then Oakley ninth. Ninth, yeah. And Cleveland picked him but traded his rights to Chicago. Yeah, so I didn't know what they traded to Cleveland for, but uh, but yeah, that that's all he mentions. Well, like you said, Jer- Jerry Krause had been watching him since he was a scout, and uh, if he was he was Bulls GM, he would have been making deals for for Oakley, I reckon, and wanting to get him on the Bulls team there. So he talks about himself and Michael; they got along instantly because of their work ethic and driving the court. So Oakley's saying that you know he wanted to make a name for himself, outworking, outlasting everyone on court. He said, uh, you know, Jordan was twenty two at the time; Oakley was twenty one. He said. The Bulls coaches would tell him to be there at 10 a.m. and he'd be there at 8.30 a.m. working out. That's the sort of dude he was, putting in extra hours, working extra hard, outworking everyone else. Yeah, you can see the similarities there with, with Jordan. Jordan had a pretty similar approach, right? He was he was all about work ethic and um, outworking everybody else. At the time, the George, the Iceman, Gervin, was traded to Chicago and that was the veteran Oakley went to, like, you know, you got the rookies that go to the veterans for advice and, and whatnot, and uh, so he was the, the player that Oakley went to. George Gervin, the Iceman. Then he talks about the drug problems in the NBA in the early to mid-'80s. He said, oh, okay, co- yeah. What does he say about that? He said cocaine was massive. He said numerous players were in and out of rehab. The Washington Post estimated that 40 to 75% of the league was using coke. Yeah, Jordan mentions that too, didn't he? In the, that there in the was last a, dance. I remember him mentioning that in the last dance too. Yeah, you walk into a room and 
bunch of guys doing coke and he'd just be like, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't be around this stuff, you know, like yeah, all that stuff sort of rings true to me, you know, to Michael Jordan's character anyway. Like you can imagine him as a young kid just being amazed at how many dudes were doing blow. And playing basketball, and and that reminds me of a might have sent a clip in our thread uh, not long ago about Gilbert Arenas talking about dudes hiding coke in their socks during games. Jeez. He literally saw bags of coke fall out of a dude's sock when he was subbing in to a a fucking game. And this is this is late nineties. Like this would have been you know during Gilbert Arenas' career. So for a long period of time, I think recreational drug consumption was Jesus. quite prevalent in the NBA. And it sounds like it was peaking around the mid-80s there, where, you, where you're talking about where Jordan and uh, Charles Oakley are entering the league. Yeah, and uh, he puts in a, a quote, Frank Layden, who was the GM of Utah, said in the 1980, uh, 1980 uh, interview, he said, there is not a team in the league you can confidently say does not have a drug problem. He said right. two players... Out of 11, were sent to rehab. So two players out of your roster would be in rehab. Crazy, man. Crazy. He said that, uh, yeah. So Oakley said in first year of Chicago, he said there was drugs everywhere in the locker room. No wonder dudes were popping off on the court all the time. <laughs> fucking all wide on fucking coke. Yeah, so Oakley does say, he said, what Jordan saw in his rookie year uh, with what he said in the last dance was completely true. Yeah. So, yeah. so Jordan and Oakley didn't want to hang out with that crowd. So that's why they become really good friends as well as their work ethic and that. So, yeah, you know. they made a conscious decision. We're not going to be like those drug addled morons on the team. We're going to just work hard and actually be good basketball players. Yeah. So, they, I mean, that carried on into the offseason as well. So they used to practice with each other on the court. They used to, have, like, during the offseason, have vacations and that together. They used to go to restaurants together. So, they become yeah. really good friends. And that speaks to why they still have a good relationship, you know, probably to this day. And the yeah. whole reason Jordan wrote forward to uh, this last Enforcer book because they, they actually formed a, a genuine bond during their NBA careers. And that's, that's obviously continued on after. He so, goes on and says that yeah. he, he said there were players having ciggies and beer at halftime. Sounds like the Australian cricket team in the 90s too. Yeah, or the AFL back in the 80s. Well, yeah, yeah. The, Early the eighties AFL. Yeah, you can imagine dudes just in the locker room half time <laughs> going to beer, smoking a dart. Yeah, and he believes that in today's game he, he believes that at least between sixty to seventy percent of players smoke weed, which I I, I reckon it's true. Well, I, reckon it's I mean, true. I don't know how performance enhancing uh smoking marijuana does for you. Well, if you know, if Softcock Silver has is new CBA where uh when it's coming out in a few years is that you won't get drug tested for marijuana. Right, that's actually in the CBA, is it? That's gonna be in the CBA in a couple so of years. So it's basically endorsing weed use. Yeah. And that's gotta piss Alan Iverson off because um yeah, he was remember when he was done for I think yeah. cops pulled him over for any and it was like a, a butted out joint in, in the ashtray of his car and he got done for that. He should have played twenty years later, Alan Iverson. So uh yeah, then he goes he averaged nine point six and eight point six in his first year, which is pretty good for a rookie year. He said you said back then he said big men ruled the game. He said it was very physical back then. But you know, they never ran any plays for him. 
Didn't need to, did they? That's why you love Charles Oakley on your team. You don't need to run anything for him. You know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to give you. He's going to give you close to 10 and 10 a game, at least. And if he's setting a pick for you... Oakley has just been everywhere. He's been he's been the guy tonight, the intangible guy. Like Pat Riley says, he's the basis here. He's a tough hombre for us. He sets great picks. I mean, you're pretty confident that he's going he's gonna to lose your defender for him, isn't he? Yeah, he's going to basically put the defender on his ass. He had a decent jumper on him too. He could hit him from at least 15 out. The big Charles Oakley inside and one. Oakley, you got to get up on him. He'll take that and he will make that. Yeah, he was a serviceable shooter. He, he wasn't, I wouldn't say Oakley was a good distance shooter. Probably, like, I don't remember him hitting many threes, but no. from the mid-range and, you know, close around the basket, he was he was pretty good. Yeah. He could hit him. He was an effective scorer from the uh, from inside the three point line. And he goes on about the first season. Um, he wasn't a fan of Mikhail or Carmelone. He said uh, they they did a lot of crying and flopping. Could <laughs> yeah, um, have find some clips of him fucking punching on with Mikhail and bloody the mailman. Charles Oakley of the Knicks and Carl Malone of Utah expressed something less than holiday spirit towards each other. Charles Oakley advanced his reputation as NBA tough guy. A reputation such as this is expensive to maintain. $7,500 each and a one-game suspension effective. Talks about the playoffs and his first fight was in his second year against Milwaukee. Against okay. some... He doesn't even remember the guy. He just goes, oh, it's against Milwaukee against some white guy. Some tree trunk. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he he said that uh, he got Oakley on his chin with his elbow and then raked his face. So uh, yeah, Oakley didn't take oh. it and, and punched yeah, he's him. Not, he's not going to he's not going to cop that. He's going to he's going to fucking basically knock someone out if that happens, right? Um, yeah, Oakley didn't take it. Punched him and broke his nose. <laughs> they both got ejected, which was perfectly legal in those days. <laughs> yeah, listen to the fines though. So the white guy, his name was Mokeski. Never heard of. <laughs> He got fined one grand, and Oakley got fined two and a half grand. <laughs> Don't he cost him two and a half grand to bust someone's nose? It doesn't sound like he got suspended for any games either. <laughs> See, back then, and and look, if there's any young kids listening to our podcast here, you've got to go, you can find all this shit on YouTube. You can find a lot of it on YouTube on how the game was played. I mean, even just looking up Charles Oakley, I found heaps of stuff. Heaps of, there's heaps of old footage of, of old games. And dudes just, they decide to punch on, it's on. Even, um, you know, once it's halftime and they're walking off the court back to the rooms, some shit would pop off behind the benches. And they on the way to the locker room, you'd see them start grabbing onto each other and pushing each other. And then half the time they'd start punching on there. They are mixing it up as they walk off the court behind the Nick bench. Oh, my. That Tiger, Grant Long, Charles Oakley, all in the middle of it. And finally, order is restored. During the halftime break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one, no one got suspended or anything like that. It was just maybe maybe a fine or whatever. But um, That was it. They, uh, they just sorted it out. They just knuckled up and sorted it out that way. Just going a little bit off topic. Did you see there was a guy who played for Boston? He was playing with a neck brace. When was this? Early 80s. He was playing with a neck brace. I couldn't believe it. I saw it at the footage and go, are you fucking serious? He's playing with a neck brace. If you need to wear a neck brace to play basketball, you probably shouldn't be playing basketball, right? Yeah. Oh, but- I fractured me, me spine. But uh, <laughs> no worries. I'll just put a neck brace on and uh, we're good to go. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's lucky Charles Oakley didn't take his head right off. <laughs> <laughs>
fuck me. It was such a uh, – they were hard men, weren't they, back then? You know, when we started watching basketball, those dudes were – they were some warriors out there. They were some real battlers, you know. not It's it's a far cry from the type of play – you know, the common type of play you see in the NBA these days. You're not wrong with that. Back to it. He says by the third season, the NBA players knew who he was, so – so he'd made a name for himself. He's he, it got around, you know. Don't mess with oak. Don't mess with the oak tree. Yeah. So he he said the first season with the Bulls, he was bigger and stronger. Um, and then that year, they drafted Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. And he's- <laughs> that just sorry, that just reminds me of when he's slapping Pippen around. Pippen around in like a classroom or some shit. Yeah. Among this cast of characters are men like forward Charles Oakley, the team's ever-present jovial enforcer. He's a rookie here. He'll he'll be back by you today. He gets treatment like this. Tweet next year this time. Alright? Alright? Yeah, okay. Oh, rookies, no matter how rich and talented, have to earn the respect of the veterans. That footage is hilarious. Pippen, he's so young. Actually, just in in talking about Pippen, Oakley does talk about Pippen's book a little bit in in this interview I just watched, and just how he, you know, didn't agree with a lot of what Scotty wrote wrote in there in regard to how he rated himself in terms of the NBA's best players. Yeah, yeah. Strongly, yeah. strongly disagrees with with Pip there, and I dare say you put Oakley and Scotty Pippen in the same room together right now, and Oakley would still slap Pippen around just like he was a rookie back in the fucking nineteen eighty six or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so they, they drafted Pippen and Grant, and he's gone. He sort of scratched his head, saying, "You know, why are they drafting a power forward when they've got me?" That's it. They've already got me. What do they need this uh, these other fucking dudes for? Yeah, um, he, he talks a little bit. Uh, you know, he, he says in the NBA, the money got bigger and the game got weaker. He said there was no such thing as load management back then. If you're healthy, you play. He says today's stars play fewer minutes, less back to back. So why do you need to rest? Exactly. Guys were hungrier back when I was playing. Seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And they uh, had better better work ethic. Yeah, exactly. So uh Yeah, so this is eighty seven. So he's he's still playing for the Bulls at this point. So he, he talks about a little bit about the Triton of Bad Boys, how they've lost to him. And it goes on a little bit. He Oakley enjoys watching boxing, so uh he knew Don King from when he was in Cleveland. So he got to know Tyson. Okay. So he's good friends with Mike as well. Yeah, Mike Tyson, and uh, yeah, he hung out with him a fair bit when he was in New York. So then it goes into, he thinks he got traded because he stood up to Doug Collins in 1986. Doug told the team to go home for Christmas. They played the Knicks before Christmas and lost, and Doug in the locker room told everyone that we were going back to Chicago. Oakley stood up to him and said, Doug, that's not right. You told the guys they could go home. They've brought plane tickets, and he's doing this. So he thinks that, yeah, he got traded because he stood up to him. Right, so he fell uh, out of favour with Doug Collins, who was uh, the head coach, and he had a winch to Jerry Krause about it. Right, 
That's that's probably true, right? And then he was traded to New York for Bill Cartwright. What a collision. Oakley at 245 pounds, hitting Cartwright at the same weight. Well, they both hustling for that ball. And you're going to see the crash right there. That's a hard ball for Billy. Um, back then, right. Knicks were coached by Rick Pitino. He wanted a up-tempo type of style. When he was 34 years old, Knicks had Ewing. They drafted Rod Strickland, Mark Jackson, who was a rookie of the year. Yep. And had a young core of Kenny Skywalker, Johnny Newman, Trent Tucker, Gerald Wilkins, and acquired halfway through the season was Kiki Vanderwedgie. <laughs> What'd you call him? Vanderwedgie? Vanderwedgie. How, how the fuck <laughs> would you say his name? <laughs> That's perfect. Vanderwedgie. Vanderwedgie. <laughs> <laughs> Old Kiki Vanderwedgie, eh? Yeah. So he, he goes on yeah. at uh, they weren't. Getting... He, he spent the longest time that like the longest stint with any club was with the Knicks, right? For Charles it was the Knicks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where most people would remember him from. Yeah, yeah. I think he was about ten, about ten years there. But yeah, so he uh, he talks about Rick Patino, one of the fast paced type of games to bring in the fans because uh, they won't get that many fans into Madison Square Garden. That didn't last, did it? Yeah, exactly. He said uh, Rick Patino wanted the team to shoot threes. He said in the eighty eight eighty nine season they took one thousand one hundred forty seven threes, which was four hundred more than the second closest team. Jesus Christ. And at the time, they made an NBA record of 386. So they hit, they hit 386 out of, what was it, 1,147. 147. So that's around 30% or something, isn't it? So he compares it to the Warriors in 2018-2019 season when they made... When they made 1,087. Yeah, those numbers are kind of flipped around in, in reverse when we're talking about modern-day basketball, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, Patino got him to launch heaps of threes, and they only hit three out of ten. But, um, yeah, that didn't really didn't really help him. I'd say that's what led to him being getting rid of Patino, right? Yeah. And then the, he talks about uh, yeah, a story now, which is, which is really cool. Um, he talks about a game and they're on a, they're on a plane trip home. He said Mark Jackson, Rod Strickton, Pete Myers were at the back of the plane playing cards and fucking around. They started to throw gropes. Gropes. They started to throw grapes to the front of the plane. That's where the the veterans were. The dudes playing cards started tossing grapes. Yeah, yeah. A veteran got pissed. Oakley wasn't throwing the grapes. Sydney Green gets up and says, the next motherfucker who who throws a grape is going to get his ass beat. All three grapes at at the same time hit him. Sid came down and accused Oakley. Oakley said it wasn't him, but Sid didn't listen and said he was going to take him down. Oakley hit him before Sid could, busted his lip open and was bleeding. Patino was pissed, team meetings, etc. The team got tight because of that, and that's when they started to become a great home team. They tied their franchise record of 35-6 and six at home. They won 52 games that season. That's pretty interesting. Like, So that's a fight on, on, the, a, plane. on, a, on a plane. Galvanized the squad. Yeah, it's funny how shit like that happens, and it's you know it's something different and something weird, and it gets a team together. It's what's lacking in today's game, right? So that, punching yeah. on more. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would happen in today's game. It'd be nice if it did. Yeah, I don't think we're about to see those days again where um, dudes are just knuckling up, sorting it out that way. No. It's unlikely. So that season, uh, they lost to the Bulls in the playoffs. There was a report that the Knicks GM and Rick Pitino were feuding. And so Pitino ended up going 
to the University of Kentucky. That's right. Yep. Started coaching college ball. Yep. And he was repla- who was he replaced by? Was that Riley? No. So the Knicks hired Stu Jackson. Right. Stu Jackson. Um, not, not, not any relation to Phil. Duh, I doubt it. I don't, I don't think he is. No, no. If they hired Stu Jackson, Rod Strickland was asked to be traded because he was being unhappy being the backup point guard to Mark Jackson. Eight players returned from the 52-game win season. Rod was traded to the Spurs for Maurice Cheeks. Oak got a hand injury and missed half the season of the second half of the season, I should say. He thought he had broken it, played a game with it hurt. In the 40 minutes, he had 14 points and 19 rebounds. <laughs> with a broken hand. He had an x-ray. And sure enough, it was a broken bone in his hand. Had a cast on it for 17 days. Then they removed it, so it was 10 days from the playoffs. So that's not even three weeks, and he's taken the, the cast off his yeah. hand. And they said normally for an injury, that should be three, three months. Yeah, especially the the hands, the, the bones in the hand, small bones, they take longer to heal, you would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so that year they ended 47-35. and 35. Uh, They lost to the Pistons in the second round. Uh, 15 games into the next season, 1990-91 season, Stu Jackson was fired. Uh, so Knicks went 7-8. and eight. He was replaced by John McLeod, a 17-season... No season. idea who yeah. that is. He was a 17-season coaching veteran, 14 seasons with the Suns and three with Dallas. Um, at the time... Still don't know who he is. Yeah. Internally, Ewing and Jackson weren't happy. Johnny Newman signed with Charlotte. Changes at the front office were happening. So there was a lot of uncertainty happening with the changes. And uh, he said that the franchise seems a bit lost. There was no direction. Anyone who remembers the Knicks back then, they were sort of, uh, like you said, they were always tough to beat at home, I think. Like they, they had a good home record, but yeah, they didn't have much sort of in the way of chemistry when uh, when they had to go on the road and sort of lost their way a bit. And that's probably due a lot to these all, all the turmoil with the front office and everything. They they sort of had that rep, didn't they, the Knicks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even yeah, They now. always had front office problems. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically continued through the decades to now. So the end of that season, 39 and 43, they lost to the Bulls in three in the first round. So then things started to change around. So they got onto a player called John Starks. So, yeah, so he, what, this is, this is 92, 93? This would be 91, 92. 91, 92, okay. So you talk about John Starks. He was, he was undrafted. He went to the Warriors. He was oh, they found him. They found him bro- bagging groceries or something, didn't they, John Starks? Yeah, he used to work for a supermarket. Yeah, he went to the Warriors. He was cut. He went to the Knicks. He went to dunk on Ewing and injured himself. And the rules back then was that was that you can't cut an injured player. That's effectively how he made the roster by trying to dunk on Ewing and breaking his hand. Yeah, so they couldn't cut him. And when he came back from the injury, worked his ass off. And the rest of history, you know, he was a became a great player for the Knicks. That's right. Yeah, Look, anyone who knows who's a, a Knicks fan would remember John Starks. So heading into the ninety one ninety two season, Boston and Detroit were at the end of the peaks, and they knew they had an advantage. But head office knew they had to improve. They had to get past Jordan and the Bulls, who had won their first ring, and that's when they got Pat Riley. That's when Pat got on board. Yep. Yep. Pat Riley saw the type of players Ewing and Oakley was and wanted to build a physically and mentally tough team. 
they signed Anthony Mason and Xavier McDaniel. Who fit that mould perfectly, really, didn't they? In the past, he had a fight with the X-Men, and they were suspended one game each for throwing punches. Charles Oakley of the Knicks and Xavier McDaniel of the Sonics, they squared off in the garden last night, folks, and they meant business. Both were ejected. As they were leaving, McDaniel shouted to Oakley, let's take this out back. No word as to whether or not they did. Riley told Xavier, he said, I want you to be physical. Jeff Van Gundy was the assistant coach. Pat knew how to push the team mentally and physically. Riley stressed defense first. So at the end of that season, they ended 51 and 31 and the second best defensive rating. Definitely improved when they, once they started playing like that. Yep. Um, the offense was ran through Starks and Ewing. They bet the Pistons in round one. They got to Bulls round two. The Knicks decided to go after Pippen as Detroit had done that and been successful in the past. Hard driving move by Pippen. Colliding with Oakley. It worked in a few games, um, but he said Oakley says the refs were on the Bulls' side and they got the calls. It went to seven games and the Bulls won. He said everything with the Bulls' way. Jordan played extremely well and Pippen bounced back and had a triple-double. Now watch Oakley. Pippen's trying to block him out, takes him underneath. Oakley locks him and then gives him a shot in the chest. Pippen said, come on, please. A double technical has been called on Oakley and Pippen. Yeah, they've been... Uh because the Bulls had been getting touched up by the bad boys prior to that. So they had become accustomed to teams wanting to play physical, I think, against them and sort of built their mental toughness, build up their mental toughness a bit. Yeah, that's probably what enabled them to get past uh, this Knicks team, despite Charles Oakley and everyone trying to knock them on the ass. So then he talks about the X-Men moved on, signed with Boston. He said uh, Charles Smith was always playing injuries. They end up going 16-22. They traded Mark Jackson for Charles Smith, Doc Rivers, and Bo Kimball. Uh, they drafted Hubert Davis, who I remember he was a he wasn't too bad of a player. Played for North Carolina, right? And and um, he's a he's a coach in the NCAA now. Hubert. Davis. Oh right. Um, they also got Rolando Rolando Blackman from Dallas. That's it. Yep. He talks about they had a massive brawl with Phoenix. Twenty-one members from both teams got fined one hundred and sixty grand, and a few players got suspended for a few games. But he said it bonded the team. Rivers. Oh, Johnson and Rivers in a collision. Oh, look out! Here comes Rivers after Johnson. We have a free fall. Johnson blindsided Rivers. Rivers went down, and this could become ugly. It is ugly. Seems like that happened a lot with the Charles Oakley teams, where they, uh, you know, they they bonded through punching on with other teams. Yeah, and so- sometimes with internally as well. Uh, then he talks about in the playoffs they bet Indiana and Charlotte, but. Got to Chicago again. Knicks were 2-0 up. But, you know, Jordan did his thing. The Bulls did their thing. They won four straight games. And one they got their three-peat and Jordan retired. That's it. Yeah. So we're entering the era where of Jordan's first retirement. Uh, he talks about a little bit of Pat Riley. He said that he, he did look after the team as well. He said uh, on a day off, instead of practice, Riley took the team to the movies to see Tombstone with popcorn and drinks waiting. 93-94 season, they fell into a hole mid-season. So Riley took them to Nevada for a day which is where they had the gambling and shit and gave him 500 bucks each as a mental break as a diversion and uh, <laughs> go nuts on blowing hookers guys we're having a day <laughs> off today we'll play some blackjack he said he tweaked with the starters and um, he changed his starters around a little bit and it worked 
Well, they had a bit of success, didn't they? Coming up to 94, 95, that's, that's when the Knicks had success, right? So the end of the 93, 94 season, during the playoffs, the first round was against the Nets. Jason Williams, who, you know, played for the Nets back then, he owned a club. And between games one and two, Charles Oakley walked in at 1.30 a.m. with a mate and Jason was there. That night, the bartender was lining up shots and Oak challenged Jason and he took the bait and he was doing shot after shot. Oakley didn't drink that night. That same day, they had game two and Jason only played four minutes because of his drinking session. He was fucked after doing (laughs) fucking 15 shots over the bar. Yeah. While Oakley, like four, for fuck's sake. Oakley had one of his best playoff performance with 25 points and 24 rebounds. See, Oakley was thinking off the court. Much as he thought yeah. out the game on the court, he was thinking off the court as well. He's like, yeah, I know how to fuck this dude up. So, uh, yeah, they, they uh, took out the Nets in four. Um, Oakley averaged 16 and 14 that series. So they played against the Jordanless Bulls and won. Uh, he did say it, it felt really good beating his old, old team. Oakley just shoved... You know, Pippen was waiting for Oakley to help up. Charles looked at him with disdain and then shoved him. Especially when it was just Pippen leading him too. Yeah. Right? Um, he talks about... Chance to slap Pippen around again. He talks about uh, beating the Pacers in seven, how Spike Lee was trash-talking Reggie Miller, and apparently that lit the flame in him. They were now facing Houston, but he said in the end we just we couldn't stop Elijah one, and the wheels fell off the Knicks. If you were comparing Ewing and Elijah one, most people would have Elijah one, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd okay. definitely pick Elijah one. That guy was just amazing. Incredible player. Incredible feet work. Unbelievable footwork for a guy, you know, over seven foot. You know, he had that fadeaway as well. He was just seemed to knock down automatically. And, yeah, he would have been a nightmare to guard. So the next season, 94-95, they got Doug Christie that year. They drafted Monty Williams and Charlie Ward. He said Ewing's knees were starting to bother him. That's current. Oh, Monty, does he still – did he get fired from Phoenix? Yeah, he's a, he's a coach for Detroit now. He now got, he's the Troy coach. That's, a, that's right. Yeah. He got like a six-year, seventy million. Or yeah, it'd shit. be interesting to see um, if he sees that out in Detroit. But yeah, that's where that's where he played. He played for played for the Knicks with Charles Oakley back in the day. Yeah. So Ewing's knees were something to bother him. Oakley was playing with a dislocated toe. Nike had made him a special sneaker to help him out, but it didn't really help him. And in the end, it was getting worse and worse. So around Christmas, he decided to get the surgery done, and he returned two months later. Talks about Jordan coming back for. Little bit lost to the paces. Pat Riley wanted more power to do what he wanted. The Knicks front office didn't want that, so Riley faxed his resignation in and joined Miami as head coach and president. Right, and he's still there to this day. Um, he said uh, Miami paid him five years, a 40 million contract that included an ownership stake. He says, in the end, he said he didn't feel that Riley never got to really. Uh, have the chance to change the Knicks the way he wanted to. Never fully got his way. I would imagine that Charles Oakley would have loved playing for Pat Riley too. Yeah, it's 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 his style. It's the way he was. And who took over then? So that Van, the Van Gundy era after that? He talks about a little bit about being in New York and the celebrity lifestyle. He getting to know Spike Lee, become good friends with Harley Berry. Um, he got to meet heaps of rappers and actors. He talks about the rivalry between the East and West rappers with Tupac and Biggie dying. Yeah, he was around for all that, all, all that uh, mid-90s uh, golden era hip-hop stuff. So he now starts with the 95-96 season, and uh, he talks about, because you know he, he and Jordan are still good friends, 
he said uh, Jordan was filming Space Jam. There was one condition on Jordan doing the movie. He wanted to play ball, so they shipped it, they shipped a court from Long Beach State University and set up a weights room, and they had pickup games. After filming and before filming, they were doing pickup games. They would film until 6 p.m. and then play ball. He said Oakley was there, Reggie Miller, Dennis Rodman, Alonzo Mourning, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Grant Hill and Strickland were there. Tim Hardaway was there. Glenn Rice was there. The mad games on that quarter, I think. Yeah. And he said being on a studio, he said the celebs would come and watch. And he said uh, he said Harley Berry was there, Schwarzenegger was there, Kevin Costner, Queen Latifah, LL Cool J, just to name a few. He said it was very competitive and he said these were the best in 25 years that he'd been playing basketball he said these were the best pickup games he ever played there was no refs there was no fighting no shit calls they just played hard yeah he's full hollywood now charles oakley um he talks about the bulls being a 72 10 team he and rodman aren't friends he said uh ark was uh, oakley was a he's a part owner of a restaurant and rodman was there and he was being a smart ass and eating food from other people's plates and Oakley was there and saw him and he went up to him and said, what the fuck are you doing? Grabbed him by the shirt and threw him out. I would love to see that. In true Charles Oakley style, pick the dude up, chuck him out of the restaurant. Yeah. Not doing that shit in here, Dennis. Now, the Knicks hired Don Nelson as coach. Nelson had run TMC and the Warriors and wanted that run-and-gun type playing New York, but they didn't have that type of team there. No, that's right. That's not what I remember about the Knicks, no. no. Uh, he said uh, Nelson and Ewing never really got along from day one, and Ewing wasn't featured in the offense like he had under Riley. Um, he said Nelson decided to make Anthony Mason the point guard so they could exploit mismatches. Anthony Mason as point guard? Yeah, they, Don Nelson was pretty renowned for some pretty off-the-wall strategic moves. On the basketball court, you know, he was he, unconventional kind of style. But he does say Nelson loved that Mason was built like a football player, but he had quick feet and was agile. And uh, apparently it worked as Mason was a good passer, he said. Yeah, I remember him being quite quite good, quite a quite a adept ball handler and could shoot a little bit and uh, distribute a little bit. Yeah, he's sort of uh, a muscly point forward. There was a tension... Between Ewing and Starks were just, uh, yeah, a tension between Nelson that was growing. Um, Nelson felt it was time to move away from uh, them. So, yeah. Then he talks about there's a bit of a rift between Charles Oakley and Chris Webber. Right. Yeah, talk a bit about that. So, in one of the games, words were said by Webber. And uh, it went to overtime. And at this stage, Chris Webber was in Washington. Uh, it was a loose ball and Weber and Weber and Oak dived for it. Weber hurt his shoulder and had to go off. Straight after the game, Weber accused Oakley of being dirty and trying to intentionally hurt him, which wasn't the case. Dak got back to Oakley quick, and as Oakley was walking to the bus, he saw Weber. With a small group of people, he walked straight up to him and said, Motherfucker, you ever say anything about me, I'm going to fuck you up. How cool is that? He was never never shy in confronting what he didn't think was right. Yeah. In his um, view. Yeah. So then he talks about mid-February, he had a dislocated finger, he had surgery, came back late March. Uh, but then they had a new coach. Uh, Ewing and Starks led a mutiny and got him sacked, but apparently head office wasn't happy with a 34-25 and 25 record. The new coach was Jeff Van Gundy. The third coach in 10 months. Yep, uh, more more turmoil for that uh, New York Knicks front office there. 
So uh, Charles, Smith, Charles Smith, Doug Christie and Monty Williams were traded for expiring contracts to clear up space for free agency of 1996, which he said was deep and talented. Oakley had an injury run, thumb injury, a friendly elbow from Ewing, six, day, six stitches and a fracture. He had to wear a mask to keep playing. They lost to the Bulls in the playoffs and he said, we just weren't a strong team then. Before the next season, they signed Chris Childs and Alan Houston. They traded Mason to Charlotte for Larry Johnson. Oakley wasn't happy too happy about that. No, he because said, they'd had they'd had run-ins in the past, Larry Johnson and, and Oak, so he definitely wouldn't have liked seeing Larry Johnson come on board. Oakley picks up his second personal foul, and you can see that Johnson has more to say to him right now. This has been a war of wars that has been going on. And he talks about uh, Larry Johnson was starting to have back issues. He did, yeah. Yeah, he was probably part, like, Larry Johnson, one of those players who peaked pretty early and then uh, had sort of chronic back issues after his career in Charlotte. So he talks about that season was a bit of a shit season. He had another injury and uh, they just broke the 50% mark. That was, if you remember, the big fight with Miami with Van Gundy holding onto Morning's legs. Yeah, I think a lot of people would have seen that footage. Rebound, New York. And Fist was flying at the other end. So after 10 years in New York, he was traded to Toronto for Marcus Camby. Charles Oakley on the bench having a little fun with Marcus Camby. Right, so that's how Camby ended up on, on the Knicks there. On the Knicks. It was actually... Um, Traded for um, Oakley, yeah. So he talks about uh, 98-99 lockout. He was pissed at the Knicks because um, he had two, 10 good years there and you know, and that's what they decided to do. Oakley was 34 now at the time. He said going to Toronto, he said it was all hockey, all day and night, just no basketball highlights. Fairly soon after the Raptors were one of the new expansion teams, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's only a few years after they after they've been in the league that they got Oakley. So can't imagine he would have enjoyed it. You know, much. he said that being in Toronto, he didn't feel like he was in the NBA there. That's how sort of yeah you know, how strong hockey was. Yeah, and, dis- disconnected. Yeah, but he said he soon fell in love with the people and the place and the culture there. Toronto entered the league in ninety five, ninety six. They had Vince and Tracy, and he got told it was his job to protect them. They had Kevin Willis, Dee Brown, and Doug Christie. And then the first game back at the Madison Square Garden, he got a standing ovation. Still to this day, he's a beloved by the Knicks fans. He said he never went up to the players to hug or shake their hands. He said, "It's not my team anymore." This is when he sort of, uh, he doesn't talk a lot, um, doesn't go in depth really. But uh, he said, summer of 2000, he was seeing a girl in Washington, D.C. He was on the phone to her and there was a guy in the background and said, who are you talking to? Tell that don't want to talk to him. He finds out he's an NBA player called Jeff McInnes, a point guard for the Clippers. So one day when they were playing them, on the same day they would have a shoot around, Clippers had a shoot around at 10 a.m., Raptors at 11 a.m. He got there at 10.55, Jeff McInnes was still there. 11.01, so technically when their shoot around was supposed to start, Jeff was still there. He ran towards him and punched him. Lamar Odom said, you just punched my best friend. Oak said, fuck your best friend. You want some of this? 
I dare say Lamar would have backed off at that point. Both teams were on the court and Oak had to be separated from Odom and McInnes. Oak got suspended for three games and fined 15k. But with the games he missed and whatnot, it actually costed him two hundred and twenty grand. The the climate of the league was slowly changing at that point. The fines were going up for these physical altercations. They're trying to get rid of all the physical stuff out of the league. Apparently, Jeff McInnes said he was going to get Oakley back one day, but he said nothing happened. Oakley talks about he ran into Lamar Odom at an All Star weekend in the hotel the players were staying at. Oakley was on his four, stopped. And Odin was with five mates. So this is when he is going to jump on an elevator. So Oakley stepped on and said, he looked at basically Odin and said, somebody needs to get off. You can wait for the next next one. Odom never said anything back. He walked off. Oak walked on, and that was it. Yeah, even the late Charles Oakley, you know, thirty five year old Charles Oakley, you're not messing with that guy, man. Especially not off the court, not not with his rep. So then he talks about. You remember Tyrone Hill? He played for Cleveland and Philly. Tyrone Hill, I remember he's sort of had very prominent cheekbones. He looked like a like a skeleton man. Yeah, he was a he was a power forward, but he wasn't it wasn't. Fantastic. Wasn't built. Yeah, he was pretty skinny. So he, he talks about him a little bit. He says uh, back a few years ago, he got to know him. They were having bets, you know, circus shots on court, etc. Tyrone was down big enough to lend money from Oak. So Oakley lent him 20k. A few years went by and Oak never heard from him. And now he'd had enough. That was a few years before. In October 2000, a preseason game in Oak saw Tyrone Hill in the layup line went up to him. Where's my money? He replies, dog, I don't have it. I'm going through a divorce. Oakley shot back quickly. Divorce? Who married your ugly ass anyway? And they got into it. Everyone rushed over and they both got ejected. So then he talks about there was a second trip to Philly and that was in January 2001. Somebody sent Oakley some flowers in the locker room before the game. He wrote a note to Tyrone to tell him that I was looking for my money. He put the note in the flowers and it got a bellboy to deliver them to Tyrone. According to the bellboy, he read the note and took off. When the Sixers came to Toronto in April, Oakley made sure he was on court just before the Philly shooting around game day. Oakley spotted Tyrone, threw the ball at his face, and for the rest of that game, Tyrone was 0 of 6 field goal in 13 minutes. Oakley yeah, he got was a- shook. He was absolutely shook by Charles Oakley. Oakley got a 10K fine and a one-game suspension. And it, it continues on. The Raptors were facing Philly in the second round of the playoffs. The media got wind that Tyrone owed, owed Oak money. Tyrone's coach told him to pay Oak his money. He paid him before Game 7. Oakley called Tyrone a coward and said, Tyrone, where's my interest at? For some fun. Uh, yeah, so Rock- you, don't, you don't stiff Oak out of 20K, mate. No. No. You don't do it. You just don't do it. If you're smart, you don't do it. So uh, the Raptors lost game seven. Oakley was 37 now. Oakley had 11 and 10 that game and held Tyrone to six and four. <laughs> it was Oakley's last playoff game, but not the last time he saw Tyrone Hill. <laughs> a few years after Oakley retired, they were playing a pickup game and Oak's team was killing Tyrone's team at 10 to four. Tyrone called a foul on me. Oakley said, fuck you. Tyrone had a few choice words back, and before you knew it, punched Oakley punched him three, four times. Tyrone called the manager of the gym, and the police showed up. There was there was soon a warrant out for his arrest. They both ended up in court. Oakley was happy to spend a night in jail, as the judge didn't know what to do. Tyrone said he he was he said he was being bullied by Oakley, 
And in the end, a restraining order required for Oakley to stay 500 feet away. Oh, jeez. Then he talks about 2008. And 2001 playoffs, they ended up losing to Philly. He thinks Lenny Wilkins and Vince Carter wanted him out after he basically said Vince didn't step up early in the playoffs. Uh, he thinks yeah, he was a pretty he was a pretty outspoken guy, Charles Oakley. So yeah, I can imagine like he ruffled a few feathers in his time, didn't he? Yeah, but he, he said did this. He said he did it to uh, light a fire under Vince, and he said it worked. Um, he said Oakley wasn't fond of Lenny Wilkins. He felt that his heart wasn't in the game anymore. He was saying that uh, like the Raptors were playing New York in the playoffs early on and Oak said to the media that the Knicks coach, Jeff Van Gundy, was preparing the Knicks better than the Wilkins preparing us. He said uh, Antonio Davis backed him up and said there were no meetings, no video, no practices, no game plan for the playoffs. Uh, that, that's fucked. He was phoning it in by that point, Lenny Wilkins. Yeah. He, he lost it. So then he was traded back to Chicago, July 2001. Right, yeah. Now, Chicago were a shit team back then. You know, yeah, they, they were had, terrible. They were the they Ben had, Gordon years, weren't they? Oh, they, they even had a shit at coach called Tim Floyd, if you remember him. Oh, yes, yes. He, he said, uh, Oakley said he had no business being in the NBA at all. No, he didn't. He, he won. Definitely, he was 100% correct about that. Tim Floyd won 45 games in three seasons. He was shit house. But Kraus said Kraus brought him in to be the vet- veteran presence for the young Bulls because you know him and Greg Anthony they had you know, they had Ron Test, Brad Miller, Marcus Pfizer, Jamal Crawford, and they drafted Eddie Curry. Fast. Yeah. Not so he, much Chandler, but yeah, Eddie Curry was a complete bust, wasn't he? Yeah. Not complete. He said they lost to the Timberwolves by fifty one night. Oakley called out the coach for his game decisions to reporters. He had subbed five veteran players for five young players. Browns behind him 50k. Floyd and Oak didn't see eye to eye. Floyd left the team by Christmas. Yeah, he played one season for the Bulls. And then he talks about Jordan signed Oakley one year, one million with Washington, 2002-2003. Doesn't say too much there. Well, they're still mates. He just got his, you know, given his old mate a job, Jordan. Yeah, um, he said he kept himself in shape. Yeah, no doubt he could still knock dudes on their ass if he needed to. Yeah, uh, even, yeah, even as a as a as a veteran, didn't play too much. He remained unsigned in two thousand four until March. Houston signed him to a ten day contract. Played seven games. He was released when Kevin Cato was activated from injury list. His final game, NBA game, was April the second, two thousand four, against the Nuggets, and he had two rebounds. That's when he decided to quit. Hang it up. He yeah. was done. He was caught. Yep. So now he talks about how he and Jordan are still good friends. Um, Oakley was an assistant coach. Did you know that? Did not know that. He was assistant coach with the Charlotte Bobcats in 2010, 2011, but resigned because he had back problems and he just couldn't sit on the bench anymore. Yeah, that's, that's something uh, probably a lot of people don't know about uh, Oakley. He talks about he met LeBron at a young age and they become good friends. If you remember when Cleveland, when he was at Cleveland and then he went to Miami. Yes. Yeah, the decision. LeBron's the, decision. Yeah. 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 So nine months before LeBron made that show about moving to Miami, he made it pretty clear to Oak he was doing this. On November the 10th, 
So this is still pretty much the start of that season. He decided by the start of the season that he was going to go to Miami. Fucking LeBong. Yeah, that sucked. That whole that whole thing sucked. That whole ESPN thing. I remember I remember watching it live because that's when I was I was still working at Crown at the time. I think I was actually in the gym after work. And I remember it being on. It was that was on the TV. LeBron sitting down with whoever it was ESPN. LeBron, what's your decision? Um, in this fall, man, it's, it's, it's very tough. Um, in this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Miami Heat. That was the conclusion you woke up with this morning. That was the conclusion I woke up with this morning. To say it was always in my plans, I, I can't say it was always in my plans because I never thought it was possible. How do you explain this to the people in Cleveland? Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's heartfelt for me. Um, you know, it's hard to explain. I, I never wanted to leave Cleveland. Um, and my heart um, will always be around that area. Um, but I also feel like um, this is the <clears throat> the greatest challenge for me um, is to move on. Talking about his decision to go to Miami, and I'm just sitting there just going, what the fuck is this a 45-minute show? That was November 10. November 10, he was at Oak and told him yeah, he was going he's told, to. He's told Oak way back in November, the start of the NBA season, that he's he's off to Miami. He's not, yep. You know, he's not not committed at all to, to Cleveland. So November 10, he was with Oak and told him he was going to Miami at the end of his contract in July. Two nights after that, so November the 12th or 13th, he was, he was watching Miami play with Pat Riley, and that's when Oak told him there's a certain superstar who wants to play for Miami. He plays for Cleveland right now. He wants to play. Yeah, so he's gone up to his old mate, Pat Riley, and said, hey, uh, certain marquee player on the uh, uh, playing playing for some other team there, he's uh, thinking about uh, joining your squad here. Yeah, what do you reckon? And I don't that? think uh, Riley would have gone, yep, I'm okay with this. Uh, so then he goes on. He says uh, Alan Houston was working for the Knicks. So he was kind of working for the Knicks owner, James Dolan. Dolan was talking to Alan Houston and uh, Houston was talking to Oakley. And so Dolan knew that they were good friends with LeBong. Dolan was trying to find out any info with who he was going to sign with to try and basically say, you know, come and play for the Knicks type thing. So they were, at the time, they're going to fly Isaiah Thomas to meet up with LeBong to persuade him to sign with the Knicks. That's not the guy you want to try and get to convince someone to play for you. And he actually says he goes, that made no fucking sense to me. <laughs> Once again, Charles Oakley is spot on. Yeah. Uh, he said Don was paying Houston to appear at games, meet sponsors, season ticket holders, etc. John Starks was doing the same. He said James never considered going. So LeBron James never considered going to the Knicks after he signed with Miami due to how uh, the owner treated Oakley. That's James Dolan you're talking about there, yeah? Yeah, Oakley had a there's, chance. There's where the history of the um, yeah conflict between Charles Oakley and James Dolan probably started. So he talks about Oakley. Like he said, oh, I had a chance to meet James Dolan, and he went up to him, got introduced to him, and James Dolan didn't even shake his hand or even turn around him to him, and, and Oakley didn't do anything to him. Yeah, he dissed him. Dolan dissed Oakley. So Oakley says, the next time I was with LeBong, he said, the motherfucker wouldn't even shake my hand. And LeBron said after that, this is why I'm never going to New York. If Dolan was a decent human being, they might have had a chance of snaring LeBong James. But nah, wasn't to be. James Dolan's a dickhead, just like everyone pretty much already knows. Yeah, so Oakley doesn't have any respect for James Dolan. He says, all he has done for the Knicks is make him lose games. 
He doesn't have a plan. He hires the wrong people. By 2011, he stopped giving Oakley tickets to the games. So he had to buy him if he wanted to go to go and see New York play. Dolan didn't want to meet with Oakley, and he doesn't know why Dolan hates him. Over several years, Oakley did try to meet Dolan, but nothing. So then it goes into that famous confrontation Oakley had. I was actually listening to him talk a little bit about this earlier. Yeah, he had tickets to a Knicks game, walked in with a few friends. He said he didn't say anything to Dolan. He just said nothing to him. So he says it was February 7th, 2017. He went to a game. He said unknown to him, his tickets were behind James Dolan. When he was there, he had a chat to John McEnroe, the tennis star, got some Pepsi, popcorn, took some photos with fans. And he said all of a sudden he was surrounded by security guards and cops and asked to leave. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Oakley said to the security guys, yeah, he goes, hey, we've got tickets, man. I'm legitimately here. I haven't done anything wrong. What are you putting your hands on, on me yeah. for? Uh, he, he stood his ground and asked why, what's going on. Um, he said, but then the fans and players were seeing what was happening and Oak- Oakley got handcuffed and he was taken away from the court. Charles Oakley over there, Mike. In the, in the stands. Charles Oakley is involved in something. They need security in a big way. Security is there. Oakley now being taken off. And this is an ugly thing to see about a guy who played here for over 10 years with terrific player. Oakley and the Nick organization have not seen eye to eye recently. Oakley has been very critical about them. Nick organization not happy with that. So it hasn't been a good relationship. Over the last several years, you hear some fans chanting Oakley. He was a beloved player. But all the players were distracted by it. The officials tried to have the game keep going, but it, it was happening in the second row. You see New York City police there. That's security. And Oakley pushing off there, obviously upset at something. Tell us what happened last night. What happened? I was in the garden for a minute. Granted, watched the game. The game to start. And um, something happened. I'm seeing these guys just... Look, keep looking at me behind the next bench, and they then seem to walk on the floor. Then they walk back off the floor. Two minutes later, they came and told me I had to leave the gym. They got ordered that I had to leave. Did you say anything to James no. Dolan? He was in front no. of you. Four rows from Dolan. No, I didn't. I didn't say nothing to him. Why did they approach you then? Why? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I'm sitting there. I, I was only there for a minute, so. And what was said to you when they, when the security approached you? ordered that I had to leave the gym. Right. So he was taken to a police station. They held him for three hours or so. A few minutes after Oakley was taken away, a Knicks tweeter said he behaved in a highly inappropriate and completely abusive manner. The next morning, Oakley did a few interviews, told the media what really happened. Dolan was now getting killed by the media and fans. Dolan did some interviews to counter and defend himself. Dolan basically said that Oakley was drunk and looking to fight. I don't believe that for a second. I, I sort of remember when, when all this went down and well, there's nothing in the way of video footage that shows Oakley really doing anything wrong. Basically said he was an alcoholic and that Oakley can get help. He said a few former teammates spoke up and had his back, which is yeah, great to hear. Ewing was one of those. And after that, Dolan said he'd never forgive Ewing for saying that. Oh, fuck James Dolan. That guy's such a dickhead, man. James Dolan chucked a fan out too, didn't he? Because the fan was being critical of the fan said to him or something, said to James Dolan he was ruining the team. Yeah. So he, so he had the fan cancelled, basically. Had him thrown out of the stadium and season tickets cancelled or whatever, banned for life or something. What a jerk. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a couple of real uh, Knicks fans I know, and they hate him. They want him to... They want him gone. And then uh, it says five days after that, the NBA was in damage control. Adam Silver arranged a meeting with Dolan, Oakley, and Jordan. 
over the phone, but he said nothing came out of it. The NBA did a carefully worded statement that everyone basically apologised and that they were hoping that they would see Charles Oakley back at the Garden soon. And has he been back since? I don't think he has. No, because I, I heard him talk a little bit more just on what you just said there. He didn't really get a chance to talk to Jordan about it, and there was a meeting held, like you said. And then I think they did actually meet up at something after that occurred, and Dolan was trying to convince Oakley to show up at this event at the same time as him and for, for Oak to be – for him to walk in together to some, to some place. Dolan was requesting – Charles Oakley to walk in to some public event or whatever to show an alliance, you know, to show that everything had been resolved or whatever. And Oakley was like, what? What are you fucking talking about? After you treated me like that, why the fuck would I do that? You're the motherfucker who should apologize. Why am I, why am I being requested to do something for you? kind of thing. You say anything about that? No, I'm just reading now that uh, last playoffs, uh, Oakley has says that they've asked him, are you going to come back? And he says, no, I'm not allowed in the building. Because he told Dolan to get fucked. Like, he wouldn't do what James Dolan wanted him to do. So, yeah, as far as I know, they still uh, haven't resolved all that shit. Which is a pity because he's done so much for the team and the fans absolutely love him. He's an absolute legend of the game, Charles Oakley, and to malign him in this way, especially when the Knicks still aren't a great team, is just stupid. And James Dolan's an idiot, and everyone knows it, but unfortunately he owns the team. So until they get rid of James Dolan, I don't think the shit gets resolved. I don't think so. But that's the book, and I mean, there's a whole lot more that was in it, but um, I just try to put in the best bits and pieces I could. But there's other bits and pieces that uh, that are in there, so if you get a chance and you don't mind having a bit of a read, buy the book. It's a great read. If you're a fan of 80s and 90s era basketball, yeah. it's probably a book you'd, you know, any, any basketball fan would enjoy reading. As was said, uh, you know, in the past, back in the 90s when, you know, we were right on the NBA, we didn't have that much coverage of it. We didn't have a whole lot of the internet or a lot of things. So there was a lot of things that we missed out on that, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we get to see now, but we didn't get to see it back then because it just, uh, in Australia, it just wasn't there for us. No, we didn't get a lot of coverage of, of the NBA and, you know, it was mainly on uh, Friday nights, Saturday mornings, that, that type of thing back then. Yeah, um, but a lot of that, like a lot, lot of the shit you, you covered in 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 the book. There, I mean, no one probably knew that until this book came out. <laughs> you know, all the stuff with Tyrone O'Neill and Jeff McInnes and Lamar Odom and stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the things that I love hearing about because you know, that's uh, uh, just add little things that you didn't know, and and it just sort of brings them more to life. It's like that's fucking fantastic. Well, it puts into context what sort of. A ch- player Charles Oakley was and what the style of play in the NBA sort of used to be like and how far removed today's play really is, you know, from that style. They've managed to extinguish all the enforcer-type play on the court, haven't they? Like, you see players doubling over as soon as they get flicked in the ear these days. I was thinking about it before, there's no player in today's game that remotely comes close to the type of player he was. That's right. Who would you pick today that is most like Charles Oakley as a player? That's, yeah. It's a good question, isn't it? Because it's, it really no one comes to mind. No one really does for me. No, no. Or maybe, maybe Stephen Adams. Yeah. Yeah. That he, makes sense. Yeah, Steve Adams. He's a, he's a bit of an enforcer. They're a dying breed, the enforcers on the uh, basketball court, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good call, actually. Stephen Adams, probably the modern day player that's most like Charles Oakley. 
Yeah. Awesome, Oracle. All right. Well, um, yeah, we've got a good amount of time there. We've covered quite uh, quite a lot of that uh, of the last enforcer there. I'm sure that's it's available where all good books are sold. How did you actually buy it? I think it was through Amazon. Did you yeah. order it and it was delivered or? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe we uh, we find a link to it or whatever, and um, and stick that in the description of this episode if anyone's interested in ordering the book. Like I said, there's plenty of clips that talk about, well, especially about what happened to Charles Oakley recently being kicked out of the out of Madison Square Garden and everything. But there's also heaps of stuff just surrounding how much of an enforcer he was on the basketball court. Heaps of old clips, all the sound drops I've used in today's episode. They're mostly from a channel called B-Ball Vault. And it's got a couple of videos up called Rare Charles Oakley Heated Moments You've Never Seen Before. Talking about him, if you haven't seen him play before, I do recommend and just uh, finding some clips on him because talking about him watching him play is two separate things. So go and do it. If you like this episode, just look him up. and uh... Yeah, if you enjoyed, the, enjoyed the, uh, the stories about the oak tree, then go and have a look we'll put it we'll put some links in the description of this episode to go and have a look on just how physical a player Charles Oakley was and how he approached the game and yeah that's that's exactly what is absent from today's game to a large extent yeah awesome Oracle good job man that's really really good good stuff good stuff another book review episode down awesome work there mate good job yeah cheers yeah, that'll just about do it then, I think, for this episode. Nice long one. Quite a lot to take in. All about the one player there, Charles Oakley, and his time with the Knicks, his time with the Bulls, time with the Raptors, and, yeah, less famously, his time with Washington and uh, and the Houston Rockets. Yeah. That'll do it for this episode of the Garbage Time Basketball Podcast. You can follow us on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We're on all the podcast platforms, Spotify and those ones. Yes. Get at us on there. As the basketball ramps up, we're going to ramp it up here as well. So stay yep. tuned for lots more stuff coming on the upcoming NBL and NBA seasons. From myself, Rodney E, and the Oracle over there. Thanks again, mate. That was uh, awesome, awesome review on, on the, uh, the last Enforcer, the Charles Oakley book there. Well done. Cheers, mate. We'll see you again next time. The strength of Charles Oakley. He just reached out and pulled Shaq down. Shaq weighs well over 300 pounds. To go out there and just pull that ball with Shaq. Tremendous. Charles just quietly walks away from it. Shaquille, on the other hand, taking a rest. All right, that'll do it, I think. Fuck, that's a long episode. That is long. Yeah, it's fucking, it's three o'clock now. Yeah. Hey, quickly, did you see that uh, the owner of the NBL has paid $1.2 million for Scottie Pippen to come out? Why does he want Scottie Pippen to come out here? No idea. And now... Interesting. Apparently, Scottie Pippen's going to go to the AFL Grand Final, and if you want to meet him, you have to pay 50000 bucks. <laughs> Jesus. Scotty Pippen at the AFL Grand Final. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send a link up in Instagram. Yeah, that is something I did not know, Oracle. That's uh, that's bizarre. That's bizarro. No doubt he's just plugging his some alcohol or another book or something. Yep, he's plugging his bourbon and fucking yeah, just trying to make some extra dosh as he usually is. Sell at the some moment. more piss. Yeah, <laughs> and. So- <laughs> 
Well, I don't think uh, it's it's not even available in Australia. Right. Yeah. So well, yeah. <laughs> who knows what what that's all about? Jesus, I would. There's no way. I, who would pay fifty k to sit down with fucking Scotty Pippen? Other than uh, you, I know uh, you would. If you had if you had fifty k to burn, you'd do it, wouldn't you? Oh, mate. If if I won fucking Powerball or Tesla or some shit, and I won ten million bucks, yeah, I'd do fifty k to be yeah, meet, drop fifty k on a on a meeting with uh, with Pip. Yeah, I'd do it. What an what an episode that'd be of garbage time. Oh fuck, yeah. Coming to you live from the uh Scotty Pippen dinner. So, so Pip, what do you think of Australia? <laughs> Sorry, Scotty, I didn't didn't quite catch that. <laughs> All right, mate.